Hello everyone and welcome to the Bear Hug Club, a pro wrestling podcast of positivity. As always, I am your host Greg and I'm joined by my boo Garrett. Hey baby. Hey baby. And I'm joined by an old boo to me but a new boo to you, Chase Dodd. How's it going life partner? How's it going life partner? How you been? Ah, not too bad, not too bad. Good, good. I feel like we should explain to people that Jace is joining the crew now, so we are a three-man commentary team going forward. Uh, so tell people about yourself, Jace. Yeah, yeah. Lifelong wrestling fan. North East of England, and excited to get into the podcasting world. Absolutely. So, yeah, moving forward, three of us now, so... Bear with us, we might get a bit over the top of one another, but I think it should be a lot of good fun. (laughs) Um, Just to start with, so um, since we last recorded, we've got a few new social media channels. You can find us on Instagram now at Pod. Garrett, you're still in control of the Twitter, which is just Club. is that right? Uh, Yes, Club. Fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, just check that out because I've been posting like loads of random stuff on there. Um, mainly plugging the pod, but I started a new thing called Isn't Wrestling Weird, where this week I wrote about um, a wrestling chimp called Sambo. Did any of you guys see it? I did, I saw that. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting story if you want to go check that out, but uh, we also plug that on Facebook as well, so keep an eye on the channels. Um, Going from some housekeeping from last week, obviously me and Garrett got into a bit of discussion about the referee's red shoes, so we decided this week we were going to continue that by talking about our favourite referees. Um, Garrett, do you want to start? Uh, I think you said we should each pick out three, so who did you kind of pick out as being some of your favourite referees? Uh, so, I mean, obviously we went over red shoes last week. Um, red shoes is my favourite referee. I think he's the best referee in the game right now. Um, just, just solely on his ability to uh, elevate a match without being a focal point. Um, my second pick is uh, Aubrey Edwards, who is um, uh, just the best referee in AEW, I would argue the second best referee in the world, who's doing a very similar thing. Um, like if you, if you just look at like uh, when she has a Jericho match that she's she's doing, She's she's laying down the law as if she is a like a professional MMA style referee without really taking away from the story and allows them to to do their heel work or to do some face work and, and it it just works really well. But my third one uh, is referee Tim White, and solely for the uh, the Tim White storyline. And if you guys uh, don't recall this or don't. Um, <laughs> Or, or uh, yeah, aren't I too familiar. Where you're going with this guy. Yeah, it's 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 where Tim White tried to kill himself about five thousand <laughs> times. Um, they would do vignettes every single uh, every single week, and it would just be him. Like it, one of them was just him drinking in a bar, and it, it'd always be like um, I can't remember the name of the the backstage guy, but he'd always he'd always go back oh, and be like, um, "Hey, oh, referee Tim White, how are you? How are you doing?" And then he'd just he'd just like down a shot. Go! I remember there was one he went off camera, and you just heard a gunshot, and then he'd appear. He'd appear next week, just like in a wheelchair, or like with a with a head wound or something. And ah, uh, I mean, it got, it got it's, very uh, it's of its time, definitely. But yeah, it's the kind of thing you couldn't get away with today. And it was, but like, it sounds bad in principle, and yeah, you shouldn't really joke about mental suicide. But it did go very wily coyote as it went on. Like, there's a bit where he just pulls out a giant fan and just throws himself into it. I think he drinks like an anthrax virus. It, it does go, 
in just incredibly over the top with like how it's done and then the fact that he just kind of reappears the following week with some kind of ridiculous of excuse of how he survived it it, it was it, it was funny for the time but there's no way you could get away with that kind of thing in today's like wwe yeah no not at all no uh jay so did you manage to pick out a few referees i did uh mine are very tame in comparison but uh uh, my top one, going old school, bit controversial, uh, Earl Hebner. Oof. That's, that's controversial, Hebner, that. Just, <laughs> just for the sheer balls of him, working for WWF at the time and selling bootleg merchandise out the back of his car <laughs> with his brother. Just purely for the balls of that, he's my favourite referee. <laughs> No, I mean, I've got Earl as well, but uh, who else did you have on your list? I also had Mike Kyoda, mm-hmm. purely because Solid. he's been the referee in quite a lot of my favourite matches. So he's just always been like a focal referee. And then uh, Nick Patrick. All right, yep. No, that's another good one. And again, it's for one reason. Uh, it was, I can't remember the year, but it was uh, Taboo Tuesday. And it was Gene Schnitzky and Chris Masters against Matt Hardy and Rey Mysterio. And Teddy Long sent Nick Patrick, because it was a raw pay-per-view. Teddy Long sent Nick Patrick, and he just kept stopping Mike Yoda, making that three count, just so to try and give SmackDown the edge. <laughs> I think that's just a brand loyalty. No, mm. that's good. I mean, that was the thing with Nick Patrick. He was always very heavily involved with storylines, especially when you look at stuff in WCW, and then like a little bit when he came over to WWE, he was always kind of the the heel referee, if you were. So I'm pretty sure he was on the side of like the NWO, and then when they did the invasion angle, obviously he was with WCW. So he's always been involved in some quite fun and interesting storylines. Um, going off mine, uh, it's essentially kind of. The mix between you two so i put aubrey edwards as an honorable mention because she's still obviously quite new to it but she is probably like one of the best referees going at the moment she is always brilliant in the matches that she does especially squaring up to jericho like you said um but yeah my picks went earl hebner because i mean he's just fascinating again for the fact that you know he sold the bootleg merch which is how he got fired from the wwe but then he was also kind of involved in stuff like the montreal screw job but then even then, he was just a good referee because he was the kind of referee that didn't take any shit from the people. Like, if people squared up for him, he wasn't afraid to push back and get in their faces. So he was kind of a badass in that regard. And then I've got Mike Yoda as well, just purely for the fact the guy was around for pretty much when I started watching wrestling and he's still around now, even though he's... Is he is he kind of officially part of AEW now or is he just kind of occasionally popping up? I, I think he's officially part of of AEW, but I think he, I, I assume it's more of a backstage role, maybe even like training up other referees and and just helping backstage. But he does he does do the occasional like big match and yeah. And stuff, he, was, yeah. he was at the last pay per view I remember. Um, and then I've got Red Shoes as well, but I mean we kind of went into a lot of detail about him last week, so if you haven't already, go back and check that episode because we did uh, kind of gush over him a lot then. Um, brilliant so we'll kind of go straight into the highlight reel so we're kind of mixing it up now so instead of just going over loads of different random news i've just said we could each just pick one thing we want to bring up from like whatever may have happened in the last week um because it's your first episode js do you want to go first my highlight this week i had to i had a really hard time narrowing it down i got Mm -hmm. it down to two but i think i'm gonna have to go with 
the wee nominal one appearing in Impact. Oh, yeah. Carl Anderson said, oh, we've got a surprise. AJ Styles' music hits. And then out comes Hornswoggle. <laughs> and I think it's just a fantastic trolling, not just of the fans, a bit of a rib on AJ, but also like a bit of a flipping the Vs to Vince, just saying, what are you going to do? <laughs> and the fact that they called him the wee nominal one. That was Came out, did the, the whole AJ style with the hood, throwing up the hand signals, just perfect. And Hornswoggle went on to win his match, which is always a bonus. So did he like, because I, I I've seen the photos, so I haven't actually watched the clip, but was was he was he fighting like another wrestler of his height? No, it was a, like a regular sized, I can't remember the name of the guy. Just a jobber. I think it was uh, someone from a tag team that was feuding, that is feuding with the Good Brothers. Right, okay. Um, so I don't keep up with Impact that much. I know they just won the belts from the North. So was it possibly one of them? I'm just trying to find it now. No bother. No, I did see it. It, it did look really funny. I'm, I'm kind of surprised they could get away with that, given how AJ is under contract. But I mean, unless they're not actually referring it by name and it's purely just the look and the music that they own I guess they probably could get away with that well I think because uh, Impact still own AJ's old theme music which is what they used mm-hmm. and AJ himself owns the name to AJ Styles WWE doesn't own that so they can still get away with saying it okay and it's, oh, sort, it's sort of like uh, even though say Chris Jericho is with AEW because Chris Jericho has been a former WWE champion they could still get away with saying Chris Jericho because it's tied yeah tied in no 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 I get it I I kind of thought they probably could but you never know these kind of things I mean WWE is always looking for a lawsuit they can jump onto Um, yeah what did you think about it Garrett Uh, I actually haven't seen it I've only seen images of it uh, but uh, I mean, I, I the the club especially being part of that uh, that spot is it's absolutely hilarious. It also mirrors um, uh, AJ with uh, with his new henchman as well standing behind him. Yeah, I totally forgot about his henchman until I watched Survivor Series, and even then he was yes, just kind yeah. of stood there like a spare prick the whole match. But we'll uh, we'll probably cover that when we get to it. Um, yeah, brilliant. Thanks, Jace. Uh, yeah, Gary. It was Ethan Page, Hornswoggle had his match with. Oh, okay. Oh, all, all ego, Ethan Page. Yeah. Is that the right guy? Am I thinking the right guy? I think so, Former yeah. tag team champion, part of the is it part of the North? So it must be the yeah. North then. Yeah. Did he hit a forearm? Hornswoggle. I'm not sure how the match ended, but it was over in two and a half minutes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Must have been an absolute Matt classic. Um. Brilliant. No, thanks for that, Jace. Uh, Garrett, what do you have for this week? So, um, I last week I talked about the Best of the Super Juniors quite a bit, and um, we are we are back in the swing of the Best of the Super Juniors, the, the 27, Best of the Super Junior 27. Um, it was originally meant to go on in May uh, due to everything going on. They postponed it, 
Uh, we have people like Bushi, El Desperado, Hiromi Takahashi, uh, Robbie Eagles, current champion Taiji Ishimori, uh, all of them in it, and that's running until um, I think it's no, I think it's December tenth or eleventh. I think it's eleventh is the final. Um, so I'm very pumped about that. Uh, they've just put on a few good matches. One of the best ones I would recommend watching, I'd always recommend watching his matches, is uh, Hiromi Takahashi. Uh, I think he was against... Uh, I'm not too familiar with this guy, but uh, Duki or Doki? Doki, maybe? I don't want to pronounce the name as Duki in case it's not actually Duki. <laughs> I mean, uh, but also... Duki. <laughs> from now on, it is Duki. Uh, also announced, because... I mean, like, like we were talking about... Um, how Japan really values its its junior division or you know its cruiserweight division. They're doing a uh, the New Japan Super J Cup, which is more of a, a Western version uh, with people like uh, ACH, uh, Blake Christian, Chris Bay, Clark Connors, El Fantasmo, Leo Rush, uh, TJP, Ray Horace, and that is going live in or on the twelfth of December, I believe. So they're really, really they're doing, lineup. yeah. I think that's part of their New Japan Strong mm-hmm. part, which is their sort of like Western branch. Ah, fantastic! The thing about New Japan, it doesn't matter who they've got; it's going to be great matches. Yeah, hard hitting. They could literally have two sticks in the ring, and it'd be a great match. <laughs> I'd watch it. Garrett, right? I, I, I would. Red Red Shoes is such a good referee that he could referee two broomsticks to a five star match. Yeah. What was the was it an indie show where it was two invisible re, invisible wrestlers? Uh, it was Invisible Man versus Invisible Stan, I think. Yeah, and um, essentially all the work's just on the referee to try and yep, like sell yeah, yeah. this invisible. Well, because because <laughs> the the thing is the the audience sold it as well. Uh, like the entire match, I think because I remember that match pretty well. They did like um, they they started in the ring, did like the back and forths, did like a, a test of strength type thing, and it's the whole thing is just the the ref like like really selling what's going on, and the uh, the I think that the 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 backstory is that you can only see them with special. Uh, invisible seeing glasses which the referee put on um and then there was a there was a point where they they followed them to the outside and he was just like following them through the crowd and they went up to a balcony <laughs> and he he's like he's like no 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 as they like do a, a superplex off of the balcony onto like some uh crew on the bottom and i think as like i think it may have been like four members of the crew fell down like half of the the audience fell down as well and sold for the the uh, <laughs> invisible men it's amazing. I mean, they do like a table spot in it as well, don't they? They kind of really go out to try and like sell the fact that there are just two invisible blokes squaring off in the ring. Yeah, I'm pre- I think that is the, the same one that they do, the, the invisible table spot, where it's just set up in the corner and it just like cracks as, as someone goes through it. Ah, fantastic. Um, going back to the Super Juniors then, is there any kind of favourite to win it at the moment? Um, I'm actually not too sure on who the favourite would be. Uh, Takahashi against Ishimori is is one that's happened a few times um they there was a match they had in like god it was one of the it, it might have been sumo hall or something where it, it the stairs there they're like they're not they're not steep but they're like quite quite long and they're like concrete stairs and, and one of them did like a like a running head scissors and they just went down like an entire flight of stairs they nearly killed each other 
I would like to see that again, but really it's it's the kind of thing where any single one of these people could could go up. You got Show from um, Show and Yo, Rapongi 3K, he could step up as well. Um, Robbie Eagles, maybe he was he was brought in and tagged with uh, Osprey in Chaos, so I wouldn't even be surprised if he ends up joining Osprey as his sort of junior um, project as well. Turn heel. Oh, fantastic. No, I'll be looking forward to it. I mean, I only just got my subscription to New Japan back, so I might actually finally get around to checking that out if it's been ongoing. So I'll try and play a bit of catch-up and see what I think about it. But excellent. Um, yeah, anything else you want to add to the new, to the Super Juniors there? Uh, no, I'll just I'll keep updated, and I'll, I'll let you know the standings as we go. Maybe we'll uh, we'll watch the final together. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we could get like a big gather, uh, big watch-along with us doing it. That'd be quite fun. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so yeah, for my edition of the Highlight Reel this week, um, you may have seen the article because I put it live today over on our friends at the Pick and Mix podcast website. Um, I watched You Cannot Kill David Arquette, the new documentary that just came out. Uh, had you guys heard anything about this before it was released? I hadn't, no. I, I'd seen the trailer. Um, I'd, I'd seen a few sort of interviews about it, but I, I haven't been able to actually watch the film yet. Yeah, it's only just come out, so I had a bit of trouble tracking it down, but um, I did manage to see it a day or two ago, and it is really good. So if you're not totally familiar with it, essentially, back in the the last nine days of WCW, they brought in David Arquette, who was fairly on the rise in Hollywood as like the next big actor, um, and he was starring in their backed film Ready to Rumble, which was WCW was kind of helping finance it. It had their talent in it, which is a dumb comedy film about wrestling. So they thought... Why don't we get the big star of it to come on TV? We'll put him in a storyline and, you know, it'll be great. It'll draw up some publicity. But then they kind of made the very dumb and very weird decision of putting the WCW title on Arquette. Um, something I should point out he was never on board with because he's a huge wrestling fan and he understood that him just being there was rubbing up people the wrong way. But to have him win the bell, he knew it was going to cause him a lot of hassle. Um, but they did it anyway and the angle was completely destroyed by fans and um, it did nothing to help the film which was just a complete and total flop and as a result of that Arquette just kind of his career kind of took a dive because of that because I mean Hollywood doesn't look too kindly on the wrestling business anyway but the fact that he was in a bad film and he won the title it just did him no favours so the last couple of years since then he's just been kind of struggling with his acting like he's only appeared in bit parts and small films um, and he's constantly plagued with the fact that he was never been let to forget that he kind of tarnished this wrestling company and this belt with a lineage. So the whole documentary is about him because over the last couple of years, he's been trying to prove to himself that he belongs in the wrestling business and the documentary kind of charts that. Um, it's a really interesting watch, but it is a bit strange at times. So in my review, I kind of said the first half feels a bit weird because a lot of it feels very spinal tap. Um, so like there's a bit where he goes to like this legends of wrestling event and when he shows up there the legends aren't happy to see him because he brought his own camera crew and they nearly basically kick his head in and they smash up his camera it just feels a bit too you know there's this a bit too staged and then it was just daft stuff like there's like there's like an indie wrestler he meets who no joke looks like he lives at the back of this cd van he's this really weedy dude and he's just sat there being interviewed pumping his weedy arms on a dumbbell it just feels ridiculously scripted apart but going into it, though, eventually it does get pretty good. So he he does, like, to his credit, he gets in tremendous shape. I mean, he's about 46 when this documentary starts shooting. 
by the end of it, he is pretty ripped, and he's pulling off some impressive moves, like he's doing hurricanes, he's doing springboard moves. So he really puts the effort in. Um, one particular part I loved is he goes to Mexico and trains with the luchadors. Apparently, this is a thing in Mexico. So you know, like there's a big thing where if people are in traffic, people come up and clean your windows, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So in this, there is actually people who will dress up as luchadors, and when cars stop at the traffic lights, they will just wrestle in front of the cars for spare change. <laughs> I want to go to Mexico even more now. <laughs> so he literally goes out, like his first one's rubbish because he just doesn't know what to do. But then on his other attempt, he does actually like run up a ladder and jump off onto the guys and gets a fair bit of change. So he's kind of proven his worth. Um, and it goes, um, I won't cover everything now because I think people should go watch it because it is good. It's, it's a good documentary because wrestling fans will find something to appreciate and non-fans will. I think it gives people a good insight into into wrestling and what goes on. Um, but it does cover the death match he had with Nick Gage. Did you guys remember seeing about that, like, about a year or two ago? Yeah, I think I remember that. So yeah. he got hit in the head with a breeze block. No, no, so that was a different no. thing. Uh, this was, they were, at a, like, an indie show. I think it was, like, in a bar, basically. Um, and Arquette takes some fair licks in it. Like, the light tubes come out because Nick Gage is just a maniac. It's what he does. But... A spot went wrong, and in his neck, uh, Arquette's neck gets perforated with the freaking light tube. So, right, he was basically close to dying. If it if it'd been any closer to a certain part, it would have probably just made him bleed out. And there's quite it's quite a harrowing moment because you see it happen, and then you see him on the outside of the ring, and you can tell he's torn with going to the back because he's been badly injured or staying and finishing the match, like sticking with that old cue, old school etiquette. Sorry, of you know, if you've been injured, you finish the match and then you go home. So. It is really fascinating to see. Apologies, I disconnected there for a second. Oh, I was wondering where you go, man. <laughs> Did you hear any of that? Uh, I didn't, but uh, let's just edit this out and pretend like I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point, uh, Greg. <laughs> About still David Arquette? Yeah, um, tell you what, shall I go back from the Mexican... Hard. No, yeah, I, I think uh, if you're if you're in a flow, just uh, continue on. I mean, I was I was nearly wrapped up there, but um, essentially what we're talking about there was just uh, the the death match with Nick Gage. Did you see that garage where he had a couple of years ago? Well, yeah, I, did, I actually saw the actual match. I didn't see it in the uh, in the film, obviously, but yeah. I, I do remember the match him getting injured. Yeah, yeah. So he gets badly hurt. He gets his neck perforated with a light tube, and then. Uh, it's just really harrowing to watch because you see him in the match just kind of duck out the ring when it happens. Like, he knows he's in trouble. Um, and you can tell, by the way, it's shot that he's very torn with going to the back just to get attended to because he knows he's been hurt and finishing the match because, obviously, that old cool, old school mentality. And you can kind of tell he's he, he can see he's going to be screwed whichever option he chooses because he does end up choosing to finish the match. And obviously that gains him the respect of the wrestling crowd, but then afterwards he gets completely like shit over by like the media because it, it, it made the rounds when that happened, and he didn't come across as very good to a lot of the media types who don't understand this world. So it was, it's really mm. interesting to watch it as it went down. Brilliant. Uh, but yeah, I'd highly recommend checking it out. I think it has literally just released on more streaming platforms, so I think you can get it on YouTube. It's on Amazon. You can probably just rent it for a couple of quid. It's it's definitely worth a watch if you've got nothing to kind of view over the coming weeks. So definitely check it out. Definitely will, mm-hmm. uh, especially yeah. if that for that uh, them those Mexican lucha luchadors in the t- wrestling in the traffic. 
honestly, it's ridiculous. Like, I, I, like props to them because it's more out of the box thinking than just like a squeegee and some window cleaner. They'll just wait for the lights to turn red, just go out in front of the cars and just have a little bit of a scrap. But they'll do like proper like hurricanes onto the concrete and stuff like that. It was it was quite impressive. I was like, I wish that kind of thing would just happen in the UK, but it just feels very Mexican. If that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, but if you can't if you can't get a book in, you've got to do it somehow. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I get I get the feeling health and safety isn't really a thing in Mexico. No. Like, uh, <laughs> health and safety gone. Health and safety gone mad. You can't <laughs> wrestle in traffic. Oh, if, you, if it happened in the UK, you'd have to have a high vis jacket on. You'd have to have a hard hat. You'd have to get the cones out every time. It would have you got uh, be possible. Have you got a wrestling and traffic license? <laughs> no officer. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's twelve chops. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Um, I don't think there's much else to cover. Although the one thing we should bring up, which we I did fix in the pod last week, is that right when me and Garrett were recording it, we were wondering where the hell War Games was, and it has been announced now. So on the sixth of yeah. December, I believe it is. So so far, I think it is. As I said last week, it's going to be. Uh, McCarthy's stable against the Undisputed Era and we're getting Team Candice LeRae versus Team Shotzi Blackheart so any thoughts on that yeah, chance? I, be- I believe there there's been some other women announced for the match oh okay uh, can I you believe, remember who? Uh, I remember Dakota Kai will be on Team Candice and Tony Storm on Team Shotzi I think there's others, but I can't remember who. Okay. Oh, well, at least the card's filling up a bit there. Uh, yeah. Garrett, I mean, thoughts? assumptions would it, it would be, you know, Rhea Ripley, uh, Raquel would be on the uh, the heels team. and uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I assume Io has her own match. Maybe she'd be put in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, the thing is with the NXT women's division, it's really good, but it's not the most stacked. So if most of them are going to be in that sort of war games match i don't know who would be kind of left for EO to defend against really but i guess it's just someone we'll just have to wait and see I'm, i think they're going to be building to it quickly because it's literally was announced last week and they've got maybe it's next sunday so they haven't got a lot of time to build a lot of stuff to mm. it well they're they're on a thing when where you know it's they're doing takeovers on sundays now instead of doing them on a saturday before a pay-per-view because i don't know maybe they're trying to fill just fill the network and fill the the dates, I suppose. But it could just be a case of um, wanting to make NXT a bigger thing. Don't know. Yeah, I mean it's rubbish that they're not doing Saturdays anymore because that meant usually I was guaranteed to be able to watch it. But mm-hmm. I'll have to wait till probably use Monday to do the catch up on that. Um, brilliant. So uh, I believe it was. Uh, I think it's Ember Moon, also on Team Shotzi. Ah, okay. Solid. Which. Which, Ember Moon, great. So underrated. Well, if she does a, anywhere. if she does an eclipse from the top of the cage, I I will probably, like if they if they go on first and she does an eclipse from the top of the cage, I won't need to watch the rest of the show. Yeah, it'd be, yeah, be night over. Be <laughs> unless right. how, unless that's how they close the show. That's how they should. Yeah. They should. No, it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. Um, 
cracking. So we'll move over to matches you need to see. So uh, if you've not been listening to pod before, this is essentially just a segment we do where each week we take it in terms to pick out matches that we just think you should go watch, no matter what the reason. It could be that it's just like a bloody good match, or could be that it's so bad that you just have to see how bad it is. Could just be really funny, whatever the reason. So given it's his debut episode, again, we handed it over to JS this week. So do you want to take it from here? Yeah, so my pick was... The Bastard Pack against Karen Noir from Riptide. Of course, of course you Northerners whap out a, a pack match straight away. <laughs> of course you do. It's War Geordie Pack, man. It's War Geordie Pack. Uh, I, basically, I chose this match because it was the first match I saw with Pack post-WWE. First match I saw with Karen Noir. Since then, me and I know me and Greg have both seen him. Uh, in person at North but uh, I like this match just because it's just it shows how good Pac is at the character work where he is constantly like uh, antagonising the crowd and just basically living up to his name of being a bastard Mm. I think to that as well um, it's it's not just great character work for Pac you're right this was sort of one of his bigger more noble appearances since leaving wwe but it shows how well cara noir is at um just storytelling in the ring so uh funnily enough before we kind of pit this match he did an interview with wrestle talk where he talked about how no matter what the match is he always likes to try and craft some kind of story around it um and in, i think for this one it's just the fact he just wants a handshake from pack that's all he really wants at yeah. the end of the day and that's what the whole match is effectively built around. And it was just, it's just amazing just to watch them go from Cara just basically being like, no, come on, shake my hand. And then they just completely brutalize one another. And I, th- I, th- I think with it as well, um, just a, a British wrestling crowd adds so much to the match. Like a s- relatively small British crowd. You can hear every chant and... I haven't really seen that from any promotions in America where they get a crowd that small gets that loud. Yeah. And that passionate about Mm. the guys in the ring. I I know we're very biased as British um, people, but, you know, we're we're the best at chants and we're the best at crowds just because we're, we're fucking rowdy. It doesn't mean we can often be the worst. Because yeah, we might yeah. just find something fucking hilarious and not stop. But um, <laughs> but if you're if you're in the ring giving your all, we will be paying attention. No, absolutely. I mean, because it's the thing with British crowds when you look at all of the sports, um, pretty much like you know football, rugby, whatever. The crowd—that's where the sort of crowd mentality comes from, and I think it's just not something present in American crowds. Like they're just a bit too pleasant when it comes to it. If you know—if you know what I mean. Like if you watch them like an American football game, you won't see them doing the typical kind of like chants you'd find in English crowds. Um, mm. It's like it's like when they did uh, NXT Takeover in London, and one of the reasons that is just such a brilliant show is just because the crowd are absolutely amazing throughout the whole thing. Like you won't find any other chance in an NXT show like you will on that particular takeover. Yeah, one of one of my favourite chants in all of wrestling came from that show, which was Top Not Wanker. <laughs> it's, a, it's a popular one. I mean, like, going off, like, small indie crowds, I mean, um, I've been to shows with both of you, but I think 
JS will agree when we saw it's a match we'll, we'll probably bring on to this segment because it is absolutely phenomenal when it was uh, Ilya Dragunov and Jordan Devlin when Progress were in Newcastle mm-hmm. yes yeah that was like the closest fantastic thing fantastic match yeah fantastic match but it was the crowd especially that, that was like the closest thing I've seen to like a football style chant and atmosphere to a match it was it was like the crowd hev- like the match itself was perfect the way it was but if it wasn't for that crowd as well, it would it just tipped it up to the next mm-hmm. level. Yeah, I'm sure we're we're gonna gush about progress crowds like many times during this uh, this podcast, yes. having especially <laughs> been part of them as well. Um, but like, I I think I think uh, just to go back to like American versus UK crowds, or, or just like you know globally different places, it's 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 a weird. I don't know if it's you know necessarily the right format for us to have that discussion. But you could really go in depth on like how the how different they are in just like how structured they are, because it's weird to say that you know crowds do have structures. You go there and because of where you are and what you're used to, you're used to like the social setting of it. In an American football game, they're used to having the cheerleaders tell them to cheer. That's why they're there to 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 hype up the crowd. In UK stuff, we don't really have that, I suppose. Maybe Jim Smallman will come out at the start of Progress and, and give you a little, uh, or, or tell you your shirt looks fucking dumb or something, and, and you know, everyone will laugh at you, and that's how you, that's how you get hyped up. But it's not the same as um, like some scantily clad cheerleaders going, give me a Y, give me an E, give me an S. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think it is just the case that, you know, um, Americans can just be a bit too polite, you know, when it comes to these kind of things, whereas you know, give give put a, give a British guy a beer and put him in a crowd, he will generally say whatever the fuck he wants, mm-hmm. and as a result, that'll just kind of happen all the way around. And that's why if you go to something like Progress or to North or Riptide or wherever, you're guaranteed to hear at least some familiar chants, like there's some that will just always be brought up, but then you'll you'll at least hear one or two things that are just completely unique and will probably never be chanted again. So there's always just like it's just one of those things where British crowds just have that kind of edge over the American ones, I think. Which is why it's weird. It's kind of weird watching NXT UK because that doesn't seem to happen on that on that show. Like the kind of crowd, like this kind of chance you get, you get some, but I'm guessing they've probably been making them tame it back a bit because there's probably some yeah. that just couldn't air on the network. Yeah, I, I think yeah. I think they do. Uh, you know, at, at the beginning of a lot of those shows, they do have people come out and say, you know, tone it down a little bit. Um, and I suppose a British crowd isn't really the right fit for a televised wrestling sometimes. Yeah, true, true. See, I, I think another part of it is, like, uh, quite a lot of Brits know what it's like to go to a football match and it just be a really bad match. So instead of watching the game, you'll just make your own entertainment which is where a lot of the chants come from. Like I've 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 heard chants about uh, a player who plays for Newcastle United, John Joe Shelby, looking like Lord Voldemort. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jordan Pickford, the England goalkeeper, can't reach the crossbar. He's only got little arms. <laughs> and I think it's just one of them things. And we are so good at taking the piss out of people compared to Americans because we have sarcasm is a lot more prevalent here 
compared yeah, to America. I no, I agree. I think that's something the British kind of champion is not only just classic British sarcasm, but British wit as well. We can just be generally quite British people can just generally can be quite funny without like without even thinking about it. You know what I mean? It just kind of comes a bit naturally from having like been born and raised in the UK. So I think that's just kind of why it translates into chanting. Um, but yeah, going back to the match, I remember I was kind of made aware of this because um, not only did it, it kind of did make the rounds online a bit because if you did want to go watch this, by the way, it is free on the Riptide YouTube channel. So you don't have to pay for anything. You can just go watch it straight after this. But it was mentioned, I think it was in the final issue of um, Fighting Spirit magazine because they were closing print and moving over to WrestleTalk. Uh, they did the 50 greatest matches, and this one came just at number 50, and it was the most recent one on the list. So it just kind of go to show like how much of a strong contender it is, because it is just a fantastic match from start to finish. Uh, anything to add on top of that, guys? Yeah, I think just... Um, go, after you. Go, go. No, go, go. I insist. <laughs> <laughs> Okey doke. Uh, I think uh, it's just another... Example of sometimes smaller crowds being better than the bigger crowds. Because I think if, if that match was in a, like say in a, in an arena, I don't think it would have been as popular because it would have been too. I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, too much going on with the crowd mm-hmm. for the focus to be on the wrestling. But with that smaller mm. crowd, it just worked. Yeah, uh, the the product itself, um, just like talking about how you know how it's filmed and, and the production behind it. Um, I I haven't seen much Riptide. Obviously, you know, when 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 you talk about wrestling this way, you're usually talking about like how it would, how it would be live, I suppose, um, and things like that. But the the product is really good. Uh, I looked at the credits on the YouTube, and it was um, uh, uh, edited and filmed by Wild Stag Studios. And I uh, actually contacted them earlier today, just asking them, you know, anything you can you can tell me about it. It was, you know, very good. We liked it. Uh, and a man named Dave replied to me. He said, um, you know, it's mainly about the lighting to create uh, nice images. And if if you watch it, uh, it's ve- it's very dimly lit on the outside, um, kind of moody, I suppose. Unlike your your, which a lot of like indie. Uh, especially British stuff is we we quite like our dingy pubs and we quite like our dingy wrestling. Um, but you got this like you know bright light in the center, kind of smoky atmosphere. There's always a lot of like uh, smoke just hanging above as well. Uh, he just says we use uh, a mixture of our Sony Alpha cameras and handheld gimbal stabilizers to get smooth shots. Um, yeah, very nice one to to just uh, weigh in there. But it's it is a really good like production. Whether you prefer the kind of classic um, two-camera either side and single hard cam, you know, I mean, that's that's your preference. I personally, I think I prefer this Riptide style where you can get in really close, you can have these, like, intimate shots and really tell the story a little bit more. No, I, I agree. Um, that was one thing I brought up was, um, yeah, the production-wise and camera work in this is fantastic. So, um, well done for getting in touch, but I didn't realise. I thought, because the thing is with, like, progress, progress do fairly well at shooting a show, but I'll be the first to admit the camera work isn't always the most stellar. Like, it does still have that kind of indie 
rawness to it, if that makes sense. Whereas mm-hmm. this does feel like slightly more advanced for an indie show. Like some of the camera angles they're getting and the camera work that they've done with it, it looks incredibly professional. But given that they must use like this professional team, that does make a lot more sense. Yeah, looking at their portfolio, they're very good at what they do. Did you find it weird at all watching a match without commentary? Because that's one thing that seems to be missing from Riptide. You know, you know what? I didn't even think about it because I was so invested in the way it was produced and these two in the ring. Um, I may be misremembering because I don't remember him too well from when I, I did a few training sessions there. But I'm pretty sure Cara Noir trained at uh, the London School of Lucha Libre. He was out of makeup, but I'm pretty sure it's the same guy who occasionally taught me a few things as well. Um, but having known him training, which, I, like I say, I believe it's him because he's so in character and great as, as you know, the Black Swan, as Cara Noir, that it's so difficult to really, like, differentiate the two. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, one A question I want to pose to you then. So, like, this was kind of the match. There's kind of just mentioned that kind of really sort of put car on the map in terms of like the independent scene and he's kind of shot up since then like he's he won the progress title at the start of this year before everything had to go into lockdown um i'm pretty sure he was the attack champion as well he won the dub xw 16 carat of gold tournament so he's been on a banner year if he does eventually make a step of where do you think he would go in terms of a major promotion like where do you think might use him the best well those are two different questions where he'd go and who'd use him the best are two uh, annoyingly different questions. I think he'd probably maybe go to NXT UK. I remember he had a match with um, Pete Dunne. I think that was the one we watched at Crystal Palace. Yeah, yeah, he did. And Pete Dunne did a promo afterwards because that was, that was around the time where a lot of people were worried about NXT UK and, and them signing up all the talent and they're just being a... a, a there was a worry that anyone on NXT UK wouldn't be able to work anywhere else. Um, and I remember he did a promo where it said, you know, uh, British wrestling is not in trouble when we've got people like this in the pipeline. And like, very true. But I think he'd probably, he'd most likely go to NXT UK. I think NXT UK could do wonders with him. Um, but really, I think his character could fit in most places. I think they could make it work in NXT UK. I think they could make it work in New Japan. Um, I, I I don't know. I I hope it picks up soon because he's he's the current Progress Champion, isn't he? Yeah, so he's still the Progress Champion because he he literally won the belt maybe a month or two before they had to go into lockdown. Yeah. Um, fingers crossed. We we open back up because I think he could really be a massively dominant force in. Um, in the UK scene, and even should he go overseas, should he go anywhere else, I think the character can really, really work. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, same to you, Jess. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think NXT UK would be f- a fantastic fit for him. Like, like we've seen him have multiple matches, and he just seems to have good chemistry with so many people. But. Uh, just keep him away from Vince. <laughs> I, 
I think that is going to be a situation. If he did go with WWE, Vince would look at this and just not have a clue what to do with. I think, but just keep him away from Vince. (laughs) One thing that does excite me is if he did make it to the main roster and he did, you know, do well. Imagine the WrestleMania entrance he could have. All right, that's it. Now I want WrestleMania, Finn Balor, Cara Noir. <laughs> see, see that that's simple. You just make NXT part of uh, the main roster during WrestleMania season, and there you go. Yeah, and then just keep him back. Just keep him back on NXT because yeah. he'll do you, well. You have you have Black Swan versus Demon uh, for the NXT Championship. See, that that's just got money written all over it right there. I'm just picturing because obviously if. If people haven't seen his entrance before, you should go out and check it because he's probably got one of the more unique entrances in wrestling. Um, I'm just imagining he'll just have like a huge swan wings that will just like extend. Do you know, do you know like when Lordy played uh, Eurovision? Yeah. Yeah, like that. Just like big ass wings will just extend, like like automated wings will just st- extend out, and all the glitter. Mm. All the glitter. All the glitter. Uh, anything else you want to touch on that um, one, lads? I don't think so. I think we've covered it. I think we're good. Uh, well, thank you very much for that one, Jess. That was a top pick. And as mentioned, if you did want to go watch it, it's free on the Riptide YouTube. So enjoy, people. Um, so, lads, it was Survivor Series this Sunday, just gone. Um, I've got my thoughts on it, but just to kind of gauge your opinion, what did you each think of it? Um, I didn't enjoy it that much, uh, but there were some absolutely cracking matches on it. Yeah, same for me. Uh, A couple of good matches, a couple of endings I wasn't expecting, but overall, it was just how Survivor Series has been for the past couple of years. (laughs) It is what it is. It is what it is. I mean... I, well, the best way I summed it up is probably the same to you guys. The match quality was good. It was just a very lackluster show. Like, and this is kind of the issue when you've just got this brand war thing that has to happen now every October and November. They don't really build much around it. It's just the it's just the it's just the situation now where it's like, oh, it's that time of year again where the brands are going to fight for reasons. Like, it's just the thing that happens. I mean, there was there was a few things that stood out in the show that I thought was quite interesting. Um, for one thing, Keith Lee's finally got a new entrance music. Did you did you hear that out? Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm enjoy. I enjoyed it. And just speaking of Keith Lee, I think the fact that the he had the final elimination in the match to win it for Team Raw, and then not Survivor Series, but the next night going over uh, and getting through the uh, going over Bobby Lashley. And getting through with that triple threat next week, I think uh, mm-hmm. I think they put in, I think they put in faith in him. I think he might be the one to who want to watch for the next couple of months. I I I, I see him going to a, a a championship program, but I don't see him winning it yet. Really? Hopefully, mm. yeah. I, I think he's I think he's going to be the probably maybe even the next challenger. But I I think that's going to be it. He's just the next challenger. And he'll most likely not go over. Yeah, I, I don't see him winning it straight away. Like if he if he is the one going forward next, I don't see him winning it then. But could you think maybe it's something that might happen as soon as Mania? 
I don't. I don't think so. I, I think that they will most likely do a mid-card belt for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I see him with a US belt by Mania. No, I can picture that. I just to be taken. Yeah. Because mm. no, there's a lot of work. Uh, there's a lot of ways they could go about it with Bobby Lashley being the US champ and Keith them trying to recruit Keith Lee into the Hurt business and work that story. He joined them just mm. to get in and a way to get that title. Yeah, I see them really trying to put him over by having him like, beat like all four at the same time type deal. Maybe not, you know, one on four. I was but... going to say, don't, don't bury the Hurt business. Right, right. <laughs> it, to, to be honest, what I see is him losing a championship match and then most likely going into a tag team. Possibly with uh, Riddle. Which you know they've they've teamed together on on the indies and in progress and places like that, which has always been fun. Yeah. Um. So I wouldn't mind that, but as as I guess we'll talk about when we get to the tag match, which I think was the best match on the card by far. Um. It's just not given as high of a profile as it should. No, I mean, well, that's just the issue with WWE's tag division in and of itself. There's just not much to it, and then it is just a case. I mean, we, we've you and me saw at the same Alexandra Palace show, we saw Cara and Dunn, we saw Riddle and Lee take on Mustache Mountain. So they are great at tag team wrestling, but ultimately they are just solo wrestlers. And it's just the big thing, WWE will put the belts on a team like that. They just don't seem to back the actual tag teams in the division. It's always some kind of short-lived makeshift team that they keep putting the belts on. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is is that there's the lack of depth in the tag team division. There's about four, like four teams on each brand currently. Mm-hmm. And then you've got AEW, which is kind of overflowing with tag teams at the moment. Yeah, they just signed um, uh, the, the, the team that the Bucks faced. Was it Top Flight? Top Flight, yeah. 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 Um, speaking of Riddle, just to say thing, because Riddle got a priest. In, I think the thing with with Team Raw, they obviously had the best showing in the match, um, mainly because I think they had more stars that they could build off there. Because you had Riddle and Lee, so Riddle got a good showing. But just as a little side thing, so I don't want to bring it up. Uh, I think I sent it to you guys. Did you watch his backstage promo with MVP on Raw? Yeah, yogurt flavored pizza. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, pizza flavored yogurt. Pizza flavored yogurt. I don't know why it, it was. It's just typical Riddle Palmer, but I, I just thought it was the funniest and cutest thing when he just went, aww. <laughs> like, Riddle is one of them characters, I think, where you either love him or you hate him. And I was on the team here. I, I, I don't know what it was. I just didn't like him. Mm-hmm. Great in the ring, just didn't like the character. But now, like, I, I wouldn't be without him. No, exactly. I mean, I just want to give him a hug. We we did talk about the promo a bit in the chat, and Gary, you made a good point that um, the kind of person that Riddle is, is is lost on a lot of fans. Like they think he's he's been written that way, but that is actually who he is in real life. Yeah, I mean, kicked out of UFC after a four fight win streak for smoking weed. Um, the bro character is him. Uh, just from from what I've seen, like any kind of interview with him, this that's him. You know, it's it's not really, it's this isn't him being forced. I wouldn't say it's him being forced to do this. From what I've seen, I don't know the man personally, but um, 
it, it I think it fits and weirdly I was afraid of it but I think it his goofy kind of character could really work on the main roster I think it's the kind of thing that if Vince uh, watches it a bit I think he might really like you know how you know he adores our truths um, dumb stuff I think he could really get behind some some riddle type stuff I wouldn't even mind an our truth riddle program. No, no, actually, that'd be. I think that'd be quite fun. I think, I think with Riddle's character, it's one of those things where it's going to go one or two ways. There's no kind of middle ground. He's either going to do incredibly well on the main roster, or he's just going to kind of get lost because people don't really understand what he's about. Um, I think though, he, he he is quite high in Vince's stock because he was quite when he first got there. I think he was kind of impressing Vince with like a couple of things. So hopefully, we see some good stuff out of him. Um, Going back to the Team Raw match, I think the only notable thing I wanted to mention is how Seth Rollins is now written off TV by one bro kick. Um, yeah. It was a, a bro kick that he couldn't defend, I guess. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you know, they, they've they always been big on Sheamus. Yeah. I, I just hope it leads into something when he comes back because obviously the big thing is he tweeted out is, is it essentially said it's for the greater good or something. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it is for something. I don't know if it's actually going to be anything when he gets back because yeah. they'll probably forget. Maybe even they won't have mentioned Aaliyah and uh, Murphy. Um, so I don't know. Well, I think the reason they brought him off is because Becky Lynch is. Just yeah, about yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah so definitely. We know definitely. why it's happening. It's just obviously but, uh, when when he comes back, we hope it leads to something. Yeah, the thing is with Seth, like he need like he's so good in the ring as a character, but it's it's inconsistent as well. It's like sort of like they'll go so far with it, with it being amazing, and then turn a corner and go back the way they came yeah i was really getting just, behind this new character of his and i was, I was hoping yeah. that maybe he'd come up with some kind of disciple stable properly because he had the authors of pain which i has one of them been released or have both of them been released i honestly don't even know anymore the i think gone, they've both the been released gone. yeah and then he had murphy uh obviously and he had austin theory as well who went back to nxt after like I don't even know what happened to there, you know? It was a mix of stuff. Um, it seemed like they weren't fully sure what they wanted to do TV-wise, and then he had to be off TV for a while because um, he, he was somewhat brought up in the speaking out movement, but I think the it, it wasn't like as heavy allegations as a lot of people had been brought up with, so he was off for a while, and then they brought him back in, but just on NXT. Mm. Mm. No, I think I agree, though. Like, it would have been good to see more of a stable out of that because that was definitely some of the best character work he's done in a while. And, I mean, hopefully he'll pick that up when he comes back or knowing him. Because he, he, he is sort of one of those wrestlers who can kind of reinvent himself, so maybe we'll see something different. But, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, so, yeah, um, should we just move on to the tag match? Um, I think I'll let you two go with this because I, I do agree it was a good match, but my issue is I'm not a huge fan of the Street Profits. So I wasn't totally invested in it. So why don't you guys take the lead on that one? After you. <laughs> After you. Uh, all right, yeah, I'll go. Um, so we we start the match with uh, the um, the New Day coming out. 
Biggie back together with the New Day because they've got uh, a Gears of War um, crossover. They come out in absolutely fucking awesome Gears armor. Um, uh, well, I guess it's not even cosplay because it is them. Yeah. Um, the cool the, uh... entrance. The the yeah, the Lancer version of uh, the the trombone. trombone. Yeah. Um, that was great. I, it's, I always hate the announcers having to do the, like, yes, I've, I've played this game. Um, uh, and then they, they read off just like, Gears 5 on Xbox Series X Ultimate Game Pass. Uh, play it now. And, and kind of shit. He, he then went to Joe, who I, I'm almost positive has definitely played Gears and, and knows it very well. Yeah. Um, then Prophets did a little promo and... Um, if you're not behind the Street Profits, you have to be behind Montez Ford. I think he is genuinely exceptional on the mic, has such good presence. Um, really, he was great in that backstage promo. Um, Android Dawkins isn't bad either, I think they work as a team. But Montez Ford is the kind of one I do see eventually going for, for, a, for a singles title, if they ever do go down that road. Um, they come out and then they do another uh, ad for. It was I think it was Montez's shoes were like a special Adidas uh, Ric Flair shoe. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, Montez Ford even even had like a, a a little nod to the Undertaker with his hat as well. Um, then they have a fucking a great tag match. They had such a good match. No, like, like I said, the, the match is good. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of explain a bit why I don't, I'm not clicking through mm-hmm. the Street Profits in a sec, but Jess, what did you think of it? Well, I think, uh, yeah, Montez Ford is is going places. Um, I actually saw it online, I can't remember where I saw it, but someone said Montez Ford is the black Enzo Amore who can wrestle. So... Because in again with the team it works because you've got the mouthpiece and the wrestling. Not that Montez Ford can't wrestle, but uh, he's 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 got that sort of banter about him. The just give him a mic and he'll just go. Yeah, I, then, I, I, I charisma wise, I definitely see the the end of Amore. Any other way wise, probably not. He's, I doubt he'd show <laughs> up at like an MSG show or a, what was it a Survivor Series last year? He showed up. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. I, I doubt I'd see Montez Ford in the crowd there. Um, no. <laughs> but I, I completely agree. He is one of those talkers. I want to see him in the in the ring against just just having a chat with like Kevin Owens or um, God. What even good what good talkers are there in WWE right now? Uh, Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hell, Paul, to be honest, Paul if, Heyman. Yeah, Heyman. Bray Wyatt, um, if you want to go for like weird stuff. Yeah, he could do a, a if he does a, if he ever does a singles program, I'd like to see him against Sammy. I think um, I think if if because Montez did I don't I don't know I don't remember if he served or anything, but if they if when they get a crowd back, they could do Montez Ford as like the you know uh, big up the American angle and uh, have Sammy Zayn because Sammy Zayn's whole thing now is like you know <laughs> fuck America, which is a classic <laughs> heel thing to do, but. Yeah. I think I think Montez Ford against oh, Sammy. It'd be great on the mic, and then they'd be amazing in the ring. Montez Ford has one of my favorite frog splashes in all of wrestling. Yeah, he's got a beautiful frog splash. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Um, again, I think I like I like all the talent involved because obviously it's it's the kind of great team you've obviously got. Again, Ford can wrestle, but he's obviously more the charisma, and then you've got Dawkins, who's basically the muscle of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, like again, Ford's a great talker. I love everything he does in the ring. Like his selling's amazing. Like it was, I can't remember a point during the match, but there's a bit where the camera cuts to him and he's just making one of his eyes go sideways. Um, just daft little stuff like that. I do find enjoyable, but. I don't know what it is. I just whenever whenever I hear about the Street Profits being a match, I just don't get excited. I think something just hasn't clicked yet. Like I've said this about a lot of teams and wrestlers in the past, where I just like I'm not the biggest fan. It's probably the same with you with Riddle Jace. I think something just has to yeah. kind of click before I can finally get excited about them. Moving on, then. Um, so I think it was Sami Zayn versus Bobby Lashley next. And I yeah. mean, is, is there much you really want to say? It was this was kind of the sleeper match, really. Yeah. Although I did enjoy uh, Sammy trying to provoke the rest of the herd business into hitting him, so he could get the disqualification, I did. That was enjoyable for me. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was good heel work from Sammy, who's like just been doing incredible work in that department anyway. But yeah, I mean, other than that, I just uh, this was kind of the match I was kind of zoned out a bit on. Um, anything yeah. you thought interesting about Garrett? I just, I just bloody love Sammy. Um, I'm I'm really digging the Hurt Business as a group as well. I, I hope they get because factions is uh, uh, like one of my favorite things in wrestling. I think it's just a great way to 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 to, to give everyone screen time and and to to keep stories going. Um, just having people ringside is such a great thing, especially for like uh, like you know if someone's injured and they go to their corner. And like you know, they get some like reassurance, or or if someone's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know about this, and they go, they go, and like MVP whispers in his ear, he's just like, hey, dude, you know, do this or whatever. It's just it, it just adds an extra layer to it. So I'm really getting behind that. Uh, I hope they do a lot more with it. Um, match was fine, I suppose. I mean, it was it was okay. It was just it was just because you know it's brand warfare, champs versus champs. That's all it kind of really amounted to. So. It's okay. Um, then it was Sasha versus Asuka for the... Well, not for the titles, but obviously they were both the champs going in. Um, I thought this was a really good match. Um, I really enjoyed this match. Really enjoyed it. I think Sasha's just been on a real... Both Sasha and Asuka have been on probably like a very good hot streak with matches this year. Especially when... I mean, I'm not going to say they were like bumped down the card or anything, but when Asuka kind of made it to the main roster, she didn't have that same kind of push behind her for, for like quite a while that she did on NXT and this past year she's kind of really sort of become more of a champion figure and uh, same with Sasha I mean since that Hell in a Cell match with Bailey, she's just been absolutely terrific yeah just uh, Sasha is probably going to be the top woman in WWE she's only 28 still got years of her career left and she's already this good I don't yeah, know, she, obviously she was she was wrestling for a long time before she was even in WWE. I think she's been in the business what nine, eight, nine years. She was young. For she someone, was very young when she trained. It's like for someone that young to have that long of a career and still have so much of her career to go. Mm-hmm. That's if she doesn't wreck herself because she does take some horrible looking bums at times. Yeah. Yeah, I mean there there have been a been a few scary bombs and you know I worry that occasionally it's it might put other people in a little bit of danger. Um, obviously the page thing happened, but that that seemed like a complete freak accident. 
Um, yeah, but I just said that that was an accident. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm well behind Sasha. She, who knows? After the Mandalorian, that might be that you know might be her just in acting now. Was it? Uh, but she wasn't bad. In the, she didn't really have any speaking lines, but she was fine. Was it this episode just gone that she was in? Uh, yes. Oh, okay, I still need to catch up, so I'll let you know what I think of that. Probably next week. Um, yeah, no, again, it was just another solid women's match. Again, this is kind of like one of the things WWE has been doing better than a lot of other companies. Like we talked on the first episode ago about how AEW has the talent there, but for whatever reason, their women's division just isn't just taken off like it should. Whereas with WWE, it's kind of night and day. Like their women's division's got one hell of a spotlight. And like a lot of the best matches that are occurring at the moment are from that division. Um, and chief among them is people like Sasha, Asuka, Bailey. So again, this was always going to probably be a fantastic match to see. I, I think there was like enough kept back that we could see them in like a bigger program further down the line, like have more of a bigger sort of main event type match. Again, I think this one is just is what it is because it was brand warfare. Like there wasn't any kind of build to it to kind of get a bit of excitement about it. Yeah. Um... Again, like Asuka, what 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 can you say about Asuka that hasn't already been said a thousand times? Uh, legit, one of the best, not just women, but one of the best in the world. In, in the ring, and I love I love the fact that since she turned heel when when she was still teaming with Kyrie Sane, she's just gone so weird. But it's so it, it's it's not weird in this in like a Bray Wyatt. <laughs> <clears throat> it's weird in like just what was it? Uh, she dumped Sasha out the ring and then she was just there like doing some weird interpretive dance. <laughs> and it's like, what are you doing, woman? But it's so entertaining. I mean, that's the thing with her character at the moment is that obviously in NXT she was very much more serious. I guess like she had that quirkiness about her, but she was all just about just kicking ass in the ring. Then in the last year or two, she has just... I think if you, if any other wrestler did that, uh, especially one that was probably as American, you would just think it was the dumbest shit ever. But because Asuka's doing it, it's just amazing. And it's just bizarre and funny. But she pulls it off somehow, which is really weird. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's just got the charisma to do it. And she backs it up in the ring. I mean, she does just a, a running hip attack where, you know... Which would have just been a, a pure comedy thing in, in like, any other wrestler. Um, other than, like, I, I mean, I, who else has that? Naomi has that. She doesn't do it as well, but, um, like, she still gets the reaction from it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. No, it was it was a solid match. Um, moving on, then, um, obviously, it was the Women's Survivor Series match. Um a lot of people seem to dislike this mainly because of the finish, but I generally thought the finish was pretty good. It was like interesting to kind of see Lana <laughs> after being put through a table for like what feels like an eternity on every episode of Raw. Um, it was kind of I, I think I kind of I think you could kind of see it coming that she was going to get some kind of win out of this. Um, I, it depends how where they go. I mean. I can. I honestly see her just going back through tables. Unfortunately, um, her wrestling has improved a lot more now, and I, I hope you know it. It only is given time to 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 go even further and and have a have more matches and everything. Um, obviously, there's just gonna there's reports and and rumors that it's her going through tables is because of Miro and everything like that. 
you you just want it not to be the case and and everything and her, her being the sole survivor is no no matter how you look at it and and obviously like it, it wasn't exactly the most dominant win it wasn't like Shayna Baszler killing everyone in uh um elimination chamber dominate like domination type thing but um i don't know it's still a sole survivor it's still like she won survivor series and she'll always even if she it goes full heel she'll be able to have that and use that if she uses it well it, it's gonna really work for her yeah i mean I, I guess i can see what you're saying but then the fact that they did give her that spot um and that kind of win maybe kind of shows that the try that it's not just a case of her being buried because of her husband um because i mean the big takeaway from it that a lot of people were upset about was it made what are arguably the biggest stars they're trying to build not look good in comparison because obviously bianca belair gets counted out at the end so i think a lot of people got rubbed up the wrong way about that and then i think it was something to do with bailey's elimination wasn't supposed to go the way it did as well so um a lot of people's complaints were that that win sort of tarnished a lot of the up-and-coming women that they're trying to like they want to see become more top stars over lana uh, i didn't mind the ending purely because i think it would be interesting to see how if the started building lana is getting all these victories just she just keeps winning and winning and winning but every time she's not getting the pinfall she's not getting sub she's not getting the submission She's winning everything, but not not a screwy finish, but just by accident. I think that would be an interesting way to go, and just like just have it happen for up until the rumble, and then have it look like she's going to accidentally win the rumble, <laughs> which would really piss off the fans. And then you have number thirty comes out, and it's Charlotte or Becky or even like you say Bianca Belair mm. who I think would be make a fantastic champion so your just, idea is just to troll the fans up until the rumble essentially yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> just to get them so could, we're, we're all wrestling fans we know how annoying it is to be a wrestling fan <laughs> and I think and it, it, I wouldn't be surprised if Vince would do it no it's no. something he would do he would find it funny. No, I agree. Like this is something that I, I could honestly see him doing something like that just to yank the fans' train, essentially, because he has done things like this before in the past. So I could totally sort uh, see that happen. Um, um, I only really caught the highlights of Raw. Did anything get brought up about Lana on Raw? Yeah, on on Raw, Lana had a championship match against uh, Asuka. Mm-hmm. And she actually, like, she really did, is improving, uh, and she didn't look bad at all. Uh, but you had, um, you had Naya and Shayna ringside, and I don't know if maybe they picked up the wrong person, but, like, they, they picked up Asuka to put her through the table, and then Lana saved her. The, the, I think the pop genuinely would have been better if it was Lana, obviously there's no crowd there, but the pop would have been better, and the way... I would have booked it as, you know, have them nearly put Lana through a table and then Asuka saves her. I think it's, you know, I think it's going to be a, them in a tag match next week. Jeff, they're probably just going to put the, the women's tag titles on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> why they do that, I don't 
I don't know. They don't. They think about the women's tag titles as an afterthought. Um, I mean, that kind of answers it right there, really. It's not like it's a belt that's really high on the pecking order, and that's nothing to do with the talent involved. It's just WWE made a big fuss about those belts, and then immediately after they were won, it, they just kind of got lost in the shuffle. We need like, I love tag team wrestling, man, and yeah, just just I want a, I want there to be tag team wrestling. Why, like, you know, the first time this belt was defended or or won, it was won in like a a, a, a four way match, right? Yes. I think why? So. Fucking why? You don't do your inaugural tag team belt in a fatal four way. You do it in a fucking tag team match. I agree. I, Absolutely I love it insane. when you get so heated up about tag team wrestling. It's great. I just love. I love tag team wrestling so much. One of the first. One of the like. I think it was like the second time they they did a defense. It was in the the fucking elimination chamber. Why? Fuck. Why? <laughs> why would you do that? That's not tag team wrestling. It's just. It's it's. Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> no, I, no, I agree, man. Because I mean, we're the same. I think tag team is my favorite form of wrestling as well. Um, but I, I mean, these belts were just never built up. I mean, it's it's obviously hard to give a new title a bit of prestige, but they just never really tried. And it's like you say, the belts have never been. It's rare that they're on the main card for a pay per view for one thing being defended. And then when it is, it, it is that stuff like it's not just a two on. It's just not a team on team. It's always going to be a multi team match or something like Elimination Chamber. Mm. I think the problem with the tag, the women's tag team titles. There's no women's tag teams. They broke up. Uh, they broke Fire up like the Desire. two. Yeah, they broke up the two women's tag teams. The they, they had Iconics, Fire and Desire. Um, I guess they were Riot building Squad. one with um, oh, Riot Squad as well. But yeah, I guess they were building one with uh, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross, and now obviously that's gone. At least that's leading to a bigger story, but. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's just they don't want to build tag teams. I mean, one of the four tag teams or five maybe on uh, on yeah on is it Raw or is it SmackDown? I forget. But it's it's goddamn it's Dominic and and Rey Mysterio. That's yeah, one yeah. of the tag teams now. right now. SmackDown. Yeah, yeah. And then you, and then you've got things like a lot of the like the teams that they do want to push get injured because obviously the uh, are they, are they the Viking Raiders at the moment now. What are they called at the moment? Viking Raiders. I mean, they're yeah, they're on the Raiders. shelf at the moment. Given uh, Ivar, Ivar, I think he's he he's injured. He's going to be out for a while. So yeah, but I, I mean, things like that could be avoided if they did have a strong tag division. Like like we said before, AEW is just spot on with their tag wrestling to the point now though it is getting a little bit overcrowded. But the teams they've got are all tremendous. Like it, no matter what kind of lineup you see, you know it's going to be a solid match. Mm. See, I think I don't mind when they just throw teams together for like a one-off, but it's when they just like, right tonight we're having a tag team match. It's going to be the New Day against Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura for whatever reason, and then they go on and win the belts. Yeah, um, I think I could people complain about uh, <clears throat> like dives and 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 all of these overplayed things in wrestling. I think that is one of the most overplayed tropes in in wrestling right now. And they did it. They did do it to an extent in AEW, 
uh, for a tiny bit with Kenny and Hangman. Yes, they were part of the elite and everything. Um, so, but but I guess you 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 know you've got to you've got to throw them in there as well. But then you've got in WWE, you've now got Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax, and you you just look back at all the winners of the belts, right? You've got like the solid teams. You've got the New Day. You've got the Usos. But they both lost to teams like Seth Rollins and Jason Jordan. And, yeah. like, um, just these amalgamations of two single stars. I mean, typically that, it's that, Cesaro that shouldn't work. as the single star. Like, I, I mean, how many... I mean, obviously the one exception to that was with him and Sheamus, which started yeah, the off... Bar. With the, they went to the, be the bar, so they became a legit team and were good. But yeah. you, you look back, I mean, he's one of the chief among people, that, like, because they just have no, nothing to do with him. But they're just like, well, okay, we'll put you in a tag team because he did it with Tyson Kidd. He's done it with Shinsuke now. Mm. And someone well, else as well, isn't there? Yeah. Well, he, he was part of the stable with Jack Swagger, but I don't think they ever won the belts, did they? It was no, just a very short-lived thing. Yeah. No. One of the problems with with tag team wrestling, well, not, it shouldn't be a problem. It should be, you know, something amazing. But like, if you put a two top guys against the Usos, right? And and it doesn't matter if like it's Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns, they shouldn't be able to beat the Usos, because they're a tag team and they're in a tag match. It's like, um... It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. You you, you won't... It, it's it's their... They're the ones with the gun. This is their match. If it's a singles match, God, like, no. Jimmy shouldn't really beat Braun Strowman, or Jay shouldn't beat Reigns, as he didn't. But it's tag team wrestling should really be like a, a a tag belt shouldn't be this is to give a single star because we don't have anything for them it should be this is the the pinnacle of tag team wrestling this is the 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 pinnacle of two wrestlers being synergistic enough to to earn these no i i, I totally agree um I, I honestly think hopefully one day we will see tag wrestling breach that apex again in wwe um Lord knows when. I mean, because it was weird because WWE always still had it. Cause apparently, Vince hates tag wrestling, right? But mm. when you look back at the history, I mean, to me, it was all, tag wrestling only really sort of sort of to fall off a cliff with WWE in what, like maybe the last decade. You look back at the previous ones, and it, there was always at least a decent focus on it. And you've obviously got a lot of iconic teams that were made and came up through WWE. So it's sort of really weird to see where it's sort of like become in the modern age. Um, I personally think maybe with things like AEW showing how well tag wrestling can be, maybe then that might give them more of a push to sort of promote that kind of thing. But I think it just remains to be seen. I think we're still in kind of a, a lull period with it right now where really it's teams like, I mean, chief like option among that, I mean, to kind of give you the example is the fact like New Day have won the belts 10 times since they've been a team now. Like they just don't have a rich roster to kind of put the belts on. It's just kind of the same teams over and over again. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think to address that they need to like I don't mind it like say in NXT uh, they have the Dusty Classic. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind that if they had put these two guys together like uh, the last last year they did uh, Pete Dunne and Riddle put them together, but then they go through this tournament, teaming together, building as a team, building as a team, and then maybe not straight away, but afterwards they continue a team. And then eventually win the belts. 
because yeah, they've, got, they... they've, de- they've developed that bond mm-hmm. but um, not just right we're going to have Pete Dunne Riddle go for the tag titles win them straight away yeah, they, I think they did the same because the first Dusty Classic, the winners were Balor and Joe, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. the plan wasn't to actually give it to Dunn and Riddle, from what I heard. I think it was because the because of how how interesting the chemistry was and just how they were coming across on TV. They eventually had to sort of change plans and give it to them. Yeah, because who who was it they beat in the final? Was it? Oh. You know what that happened this year, and it feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. It oh, wasn't Larkin and Birch, was it? Uh, it, it might, might be. have been. Bear with me. Uh, yeah, because I know they did the undisputed era go out early. Uh oh, well, no! We, weren't um, they already champs at the time and weren't in it, right? No, no, just the we were in it. So oh. I'll, I'll go through the brackets. So it was Imperium, the Forgotten Sons, which Imperium won. Then you had the Bros Awaits with Mark, and then against Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster, which they won. Grizzled Young Veterans against Time Splitters, which they won. Grizzled Young Veterans won. They had Gallus and Undisputed Era. Undisputed Era won that. Then it was Imperium Bros Awaits, which Bros Awaits won. And they had Grizzled Young Veterans beat the Undisputed Era. So it was the Grizzled Young, Young oh, Veterans. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great. Great team. They're, they're one of my favorite tag yeah. teams, but they've just sort of disappeared because they just came over to the American NXT. And then, obviously, virus hit. Everything went to shit. But then I don't know if they've been appearing on the NXT UK show since it came back. Yeah, unsure. Unsure. I think I think we'll move on from the tag wrestling because <laughs> we went yeah, a bit we'll, we'll, be, that. We'll, mean, we'll, we'll do our, an entire one on, on tag wrestling. I think, and I by think one, be... I mean like nine part podcast <laughs> yeah I think, I think that's just the main topic in of itself but yeah. um moving on i think probably my favorite match of the night was roman reigns versus drew mcintyre this is like one of the first like proper sort of super heavyweight bouts that well not super heavyweight like big heavyweight bouts i've seen in a long time that was really enjoyable they uh outdid themselves from their wrestlemania out in a few years ago which was pretty pretty boring to be honest but this one was really good it, it was a pretty slow burner but towards the end day it, it did get like a really strong contest so i'm hoping we'll see a better feud further down the line because again this was obviously just served for the pay-per-view yeah it was tremendous um drew is just so like imposing roman is is so imposing I think this was the first time in a long time that we've like really seen like these are the two top guys. These are the top guys. Um and for for both of them to be leading their respective brands, we're in a we're in a very good place, I'd say. Yeah, uh, I think this is the first Well, this is my I think this is my favorite Roman match since the disintegration of the shield the first time. Um, just it got it got to a point towards the end where, and this is just a testament to how good Roman really is, even if people don't want to admit it. Um, his face when McIntyre kicked out, if not the spear through the barricade, but that second spear, his face when he's just like, "What do I have to do?" It was the first time I'd seen Roman look worried during a match. Uh, because he was just thinking, like, what do I, ha- what do I have to do? 
and obviously the ending happened which I understand why but I would have preferred an, maybe another five minutes of really getting that McIntyre comeback before the finish yeah yeah I agree like, like I say I haven't, the match was good it wasn't until the very end it really picked up and I mean Still a standout match. I just felt like they could have went a little bit longer with that because it was quite a slow build to that finale. But at least it was it was a good match in the sense that it didn't make any of them look weak. Like I think there was always the worry there that you know McIntyre has just won the belt back. Him losing here is not going to exactly make him look like a great champion. But I think it was always probably going to be a guarantee they were going to use shenanigans to protect him. So he didn't he didn't look weak coming out of that. It, it basically did make him look strong by the fact that they did have to resort to such tactics just to be able to put him down. And it just fits more with Reigns' character work of him turning into an absolute shitbag at the moment. So, yeah, I, I just thought it was really good. And I, 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 like I say, I hope it builds to something bigger. Because, I mean, given that this match was on, I think it was last year's Mania, and it was very low down the card, you could easily see this being a headline match at, like, a WrestleMania down the line. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Uh, anything you want to add to it, Garrett? Uh, no, I think, I mean, Paul Heyman said it himself, oh, I don't remember the exact quote, but, um, you know, oh, I think it's, he said, McIntyre is a godsend for the WWE, and truly, it's, it's, it, it's so apparent here, but from both of the dudes, it's, we're, we're just in, in great stead, I think really this is building to just having two top guys again, um, until they, they take the belt off of both of them, like, in a month or two, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think you're both right. It is good just to see that we have got two top guys in the company now, and the names that you can really put back in for the future. So, I mean, WWE's always wanted Reigns, and it's good to see him finally get to that level, because, I mean, we discussed, I think it was last week, that we are champions of Reigns. We always were behind him. Mm -hmm. And we all, I mean, everyone loves Big Daddy Drew. I mean, how could you not? So, I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Uh, yeah, moving on next, it was The Undertaker's Farewell, and we'll kind of bridge this in with the main topic where we will just talk about The Undertaker, uh, his career at length, and just general character work within wrestling. Um, going off it, I, I, thought, I thought I've got mixed feelings about his farewell, so I thought it fit the character pretty well, like what they did, you know, he, he had his big long entrance... There was all the cool effects that they could give him for it as well, based on like what they could do. I, I just was expecting something a little different. I think the one thing that kind of I saw has been a little bit pointless was they paraded out all these legends and they sort of made a big deal. Oh, you know, all these faces of his past are going to be there. Then they do a little hype package, cut back, they're all gone. It just felt a little bit of a waste of time to me. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like when I was watching, I was like. Oh my God! They've brought Big Show in. They brought Kane, Ric Flair, DX, all these people, and then you go back and it's Vince. <laughs> what what, what do we doesn't think even about? Get, who doesn't even get an entrance? No, no. Well, it's his show. He, he does what he wants. What what, yeah, what you can't ha you you can't have Vince come out and not have that <laughs> strut down to the ring. Uh, I, I guess at least for you know for once he's putting the spotlight on someone else and someone who definitely deserves it. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree. Like I think we'll go to it in a sec, but his his thing was really good. I mean, when you see Vince talk about Taker, he does generally get quite emotional, which he did with this with his little speech. But 
going back to the Parade of Legends, do, do we think Kane just got the wrong invitation? Because yeah, everyone came out in suit wrestling gear. <laughs> and he showed up ready for a match. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even, even I mean, fair enough, the Godwins weren't smartly dressed, but at least they were playing up to the gimmick slightly. Like, they didn't look like they were going to wrestle. Kane came out and I was like, does, does he think he's having a match? <laughs> You'd think the mayor of Knox County would have some pretty nice suits by this point. You'd, you'd think so. I guess it's I guess it's him saying that Kane isn't retired yet. <laughs> it's like you may be retired, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm I, I not just... the longest serving person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I just thought I thought with the whole like, like so here's how I thought the thing should have kind of played out, and I, I mean I know it's all down to taste, but I thought the big thing with Taker now is it, it's clear he is at the point where. It, even if he's not fully gone from the wrestling, he's not going to be around as much as he once was because he's basically become Mark Calloway now. Like, you look at the last week and the build to this, he was on Hot Ones, which was really good. He was even on, like, Good yeah. Morning Britain promoting it. Yeah. So I thought the way to go of it would have been, you know, you had all these names here, it would have been something like we've seen before. I think he should have come out as the character, done his entrance, you know, done that shtick because that's what people want to see from it. But to really put the character to bed, I'd have had him just sort of slowly revert to being Mark Calloway, and you would have just had him say something, but then also had maybe a few of these legends just say some thanks to him. I thought that's kind of how they were going to go with it. Well, to be honest, the the send-off that we thought was possibly a send-off at the time at WrestleMania 33, leaving the hat uh, and, and everything in the ring and then going ringside to hug his wife and leaving, that was that, you know, that was Undertaker coming in and Mark Calloway leaving. Um, obviously, you know, there's like the old adage of, of going out on your back and, and all of this kind of thing. It, we're in a pandemic, and you, if he's if he's had enough, he's had enough. If they don't have the time to build the story, and obviously you want... You want the Undertaker's farewell to be in front of a crowd, but circumstances as they are, um, it, it was fine for a yeah. send-off. He deserves much more, obviously, um, and I think he'll get it, hopefully, if we get a crowd for Hall of Fame. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I think that's important to notice. Like, with, with my thing, I did it. I asked one of my friends about it, and he said... Probably the Hall of Fame will be obviously where you can fully be Mark Calloway, and that's when I get a chance to speak. But again, it's just the fact you had all these names out, and clearly, obviously, they mainly just wanted them there because they probably had one hell of a piss up backstage afterwards. But I mean, give them something. I mean, it would have been cool maybe if they just give them a torch and they just did the Druid entrance from Mania, something like that. You know, make them feel properly part of the show instead of just oh yeah, here's some you know friends from his past, some legends you've heard of, and then they just they just stand around, hug a bit, and then they're just gone. Mm. Yeah, um, I, I think another thing with the legends, like there were so many, well not so many, but there were a few notable absences, like obviously some people you can't help, like Jake the Snake, who was pr probably The Undertaker's first big feud, mm -hmm. um, wasn't there but he's in AEW, but JR brought, would have been one of them JR, as well, you, but again, couldn't have that. Austin, could have brought Austin in, Ted DiBiase, who brought him in, uh, Brother Love. Uh, like, I did like the uh, the hologram of Paul Heyman, uh, Paul Bearer. <laughs> no, yeah, that, that that was a lovely touch. Like, end. yeah, that, yeah, I, 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 that I was a lovely touch. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it, it was it was fitting to the character. It's what you wanted, but I don't know. I, I think if if this was going to be his final farewell, they could have maybe broke the wall down a little bit of it. But I mean, I think like people say, if if the if they do run the Hall of Fame next year, if they can, um, he'll obviously be headlining it, and that'll probably definitely be the kind of big stamp on the end of his in-ring career. Because um, it was it was surprising when they brought JBL out, because um, he was meant to be in the class of this year, and that got scrapped, so I'm guessing they're just not letting that class have a proper induction. I think they've just kind of said, ah, oh, well, you're in it now. <laughs> we're, we're not, we're not going to do a ceremony. <laughs> yeah, most likely. Um, we'll... I mean, we'll see. I, I think that the, the veil will be pulled back a lot more during the Hall of Fame, should it happen. And it, it, as a send-off goes, it could be a lot worse. It's, I think it's fine at the end of the day. Um, I think we'll, we'll remember his legacy far more. It's, it stands on its own. Even if, if this is a complete shambles and they, they gimmicked it up and it was awful, it yeah. still would have been fine because it's Taker. And it's a, kind of, it's a character that will stand uh, better than you know any other, I'd say. No, absolutely. I mean, well, that kind of bleeds into sort of discussion about him and characters overall. Would you guys say Undertaker is the best character creation in the history of WWE? Yeah, I, I don't I really think you could argue that. Um, y- you could argue that there have been bigger stars, definitely, and bigger draws. Hogan, like, it was huge. Uh, if you go, if you want to go further back, you could argue that uh, Bruno San Martino was um, was an even uh, bigger bigger drawing character. I guess it comes down to what you class as character. When we talk about characters, we're really talking about you know the mask you put on and and Undertaker being a, a man risen from the dead, you know the dead man. Um, that is as character based as it gets, and it's it's a character that has somehow survived so many different iterations and things that shouldn't have worked and wouldn't have worked with anyone else, but have just endeavoured and and worked. Uh, n- no matter what, I think it is definitely the WWE's best creation, um, Mister Mister Mark Calloway. Yes, to me, the Undertaker. The Undertaker was in the first match I remember seeing. First match I remember seeing was Undertaker, Austin, First Blood. And just from that moment, that's what hooked me to wrestling. And it, it wasn't the match, it wasn't, it was The Undertaker. Just this huge, gothic monster. Mm. But could move so quickly, so agile. And almost a perfect representation of what a wrestler should be in that he just never brought character never even like almost like he's not even thinking about anything else apart from that much what he's doing while trying not to bleed too early mm-hmm. <laughs> no I, I agree with you both I think in, in terms of, I mean, it's going to depend on different character, but as, as you brought up there, um, people like Hulk Hogan or, you know, Steve Austin, who are arguably obviously bigger than, bigger than, bigger draws than The Undertaker. Yeah, the characters to an extent, but they're also sort of more of an extension of who they really are. Undertaker is one of those characters that 
there are elements of him of his the real person in there, but for the most part, he is that typical over the top character in wrestling. You know, he's meant to be. When you look back to obviously the sort of beginning of the character, he was basically this undead zombie type person and somehow that just took off and made him a megastar and i think it's through the fact he can kind of keep reinventing reinventing who he is that he's managed to stay on top for so long and it's one of those things you're probably never going to see another person like it it's like they were sort of saying in his speech i think cena said it it was like you know the bar is the undertaker and everyone's trying to reach that level so that just kind of shows like how popular he was backstage and on tv um, kind of going into that then, what would you say has kind of been your favourite version of the character over the years? I think I think mine is when he reverted back to the dead man from being the American badass. That uh, was it WrestleMania twenty against Kane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's that was my favourite. Just the the quality of his matches with people like with Kane, with Randy Orton, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Edge, uh, Punk. Like just the I think the quality of his matches just went through the roof when he reverted back to being the dead man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I it's difficult to, to sort of think about who my which taker is my favorite. Um cuz I, I mean, you know, I I was born in 96. My first introduction to taker early on was like really gothic like mm. um really gothic taker but then when i was a bit more cognizant i suppose you know biker taker dead man inc was my prime time taker um i it i don't know if it's my favorite i honestly just i kind of love most not well mo- not most recent but most recent run of taker um you know, donning the uh, the mixed martial arts gloves and everything, which <laughs> yeah. was a, a weird take. I think it was just another way of him trying to modernize the character a bit. Um, and I, I think I think Biker Taker will always have a uh, uh, a place in my heart. Uh, it's also weird that Biker Taker was the one that got the final match. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay, so for me, Biker Taker, that whole kind of run from American Badass to Dead Man Inc. is my favorite version because that's when I started watching wrestling. So obviously that was my first introduction to the character. Mm. What kind of blows my mind about it is how people would... A lot of people would say that's their least favorite version of The Undertaker. And I can kind of get where they're coming from because it was obviously a bit of a... It, that was basically as close as you got to seeing the real Mark Calloway. But to my argument, I think if if he hadn't have done that transition to that character that for, for that era of wrestling, I think if he'd stayed as the dead man for then, he wouldn't. He would have been a bit of a bad fit, if that makes sense. Because Attitude Era did have characters, but there was there was that point from maybe about two thousand into the ruthless aggression era where characters weren't a huge priority for the WWE. And I think if he'd stayed as the dead man, I think he would have obviously still had his fans. But I, I don't know. I think it would have been more of a damage to that kind of era, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I okay. I, I think my favorite then, and I think his best is that two thousand and four to two thousand eight um, phenom. Well, because that's when they started coining the phenom, and I think that was probably his best and my favorite of his of his of his stretches. And and it. 
anyone who says, like, you know, this is my least favorite taker, it's like saying, this is my least favorite uh, orgasm. It's still an <laughs> orgasm, you know? It's like, yeah. Yeah. It, every taker era has been great. He's always been um, just bloody great at what, he's, what he does. Yeah, I mean you're totally right. I don't, I don't think there's, I don't really think you can point to a thing that was absolutely awful with him or the character. I mean, there's probably a few moments for sure you can pick out, but generally when it comes to the character work, it's always been on point and it's always made sense for where he's at with everything. Um, I think, I think the big thing was is like when he did the American Badass, he never wanted to go back to the dead man, but when they did, it was sort of like a good amalgamation. So it wasn't him completely donning, you know, the gloves or like a druid robe again it was still kind of the look of the american badass but he was kind of managing to carry both characters at the same time and that sort of way he's kind of kept that evolution for like the last god what has it been now maybe 10 to 15 years so he's carried it well um kind of going into that then what would you say is probably your favorite take a match or moment well, my favorite take a match is wrestlemania 26 Korea versus streak I know people say that 25 is the better match but to me it's because that I think that's better because you couldn't see the Undertaker losing the streak but at the same time Shawn Michaels was still so good in the ring on the mic you just couldn't see him retiring so it was one of them few matches where you were just like who's gonna win it could have it could have gone either way and people would have been satisfied or dissatisfied whichever way you want to look at it but uh, an oh, just incredible match just the chemistry that Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker had in the ring I don't think I ever saw them have a bad match no, no, I think I think you're right I think I think you're right in the sense that that match was probably one of the few streak matches where it, it was probably hard to tell like which way it could go because of the stakes that were involved, because you're right, like Michaels, I think I think people could somewhat see Michaels was probably starting to wind down, but I think there would have been still a big portion of people thinking that wasn't going to be the end of it, and because they had essentially a big, like, year-long build around it as well, because the build going into that was uh, one of the better ones on top of that as well. Um, yeah, Garrett, what about you? Uh, Undertaker versus Goldberg at Super Showdown. <laughs> um, you're fired get out <laughs> nah my my favorite uh match of his as as is most of my favorite matches is it's a one with cm punk uh i loved his his um his mania match with punk i think punk put it all on the line taker uh absolutely de- demolished that match it was great that that's probably my my favorite match nah. it, even just even just Heyman at the time there's that iconic shot of like Punk sitting with the urn and, and Heyman making this like creepy smile, and and I think Taker it, it was it was a match where just Taker really got a kick like uh, in the character he just became like so much more angry and gave him a purpose to just be the dead man. Yeah, I mean I think what really helped for that as well. I mean no no disrespect, I'm obviously the death of Paul Bear at the time. I mean, yeah. it was. I mean, a lot of people were quite uncomfortable with the heat Punk was getting. Like, obviously, he interrupted, you know, the memorial to him yeah. and dumped the ashes over Undertaker. But I mean, that's what made the match even better. Like, this was like Punk going full heel apex to the mat in that match, and it, it, I thought it fed incredibly well into that feud. Yeah. Um, 
and I, 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 I think we talked about it last week as well. Yeah, again, that's one of my all-time favorite WrestleMania matches. It's absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I kind of went with a bit of a bit of a strange. Well, not quite a strange pick. I think if people have seen it. They know probably why I picked uh, his match with Jeff Hardy for the undisputed title on Raw back in I think it was like two thousand and two. Yeah, that's um, the ladder match. Yeah, the ladder match. Um, mainly because obviously this was like probably where ruthless aggression had just kind of really taken in and by this point hardy was no longer with jeff uh jeff was no longer with matt sorry um i remember watching this match as a kid and obviously back then i mean i, I liked the undertaker then but i was obviously more when you're a kid you're a huge jeff jeff hardy mark you know that's the guy everyone always loved with if you grew up in that generation and it was it was just such a well-done match because it generally felt believable that hardy could have won that match um even though I think he, it does go the kind of typical trope where he does kind of put it all on the line when he had the chance to win it and crashed and burned. Um, but at the time, you know, take us a heel, a heel in that match, but then it was just such like a good recognition to Jeff that he doesn't beat him up afterwards. He actually comes out and gives him the due that he could have come close to taking the undisputed title off him. So it does just kind of go to show like how out the way Taker would go to like push newer stars. Like he would give people the nod and make sure they looked great in the process. Yeah, I think The Undertaker, especially when he went into the American Badass, I think that was the point he was like, right. I think maybe in the back of his mind somewhere he was thinking, right, I've had my time, let's build the next generation. Like, like didn't put Hardy over in that, in that match, but Hardy looked bloody good in that match. And I think if it wasn't for that match with The Undertaker... Jeff might not have ever had a world title in WWE. But then he also he put over Maven. Not just let Maven eliminate him on his own after clearing the ring mm-hmm. in a rumble in a Royal Rumble match, and then let him beat him for the hardcore title. He's, he's given so much to the business. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like he, he's never been one of those wrestlers who's been selfish. Whenever you hear stories no. about him, like he's the one guy who will do business. Um, I think maybe there's been the odd point he'll do a bit of kickback, but generally he will kind of make sure he goes out of his, out of his way to build talent, especially when he thinks that someone he can believe in and back has been the future. So I think for that, you, you would, you, you're not going to find anyone more... He, he's certainly not a selfish person, put it that way. He's always no. willing to do what's right for business. Well, if, you, if you've seen the episode Hot Ones, he explains that uh, his dad gave him the bit of advice, be careful whose toes you step on on your way up the ladder. Because you're going to be kissing their asses when you're coming down. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's perfect. Yeah, perfect. Absolutely. Um, I mean, what more can you say to that? To be honest, um, I guess sort of moving on from take. I mean, obviously, I, I don't. We definitely haven't seen the last match. I'm hoping he'll still obviously make appearances and stuff. But if it's been the end, I mean, massive round of applause to the man. Because I mean, I don't think we'll ever see another career like it. But to that kind of end, do you think we could see another character like Taker? I mean, I'm not going to say like another, like not in a sense of a carbon copy, but someone else who could take a character and reach sort of similar heights. Yeah, when when you when you try and make um, comparisons like this, you're always like, oh, well, I the Fiend and, and Bray Wyatt because he's mm-hmm. also spooky. But um, I think, like you say, it is having a character, whether that's someone who comes in. And and it's a gimmick that maybe we haven't even seen yet, or or you know does it better than everyone else. Let's 
let's imagine, for example, uh, Hurricane Helms comes in and does the Hurricane gimmick now, like, uh, and and it lasts thirty years. Having having something, someone come in and do a gimmick like that. Um, again, I I don't know if we'd ever see anyone do a Taker level gimmick. Um, one that was able to reinvent, one that was able to live that long. I don't know. I mean, the Fiend is an extent is an extension of Bray Wyatt, and Bray Wyatt's character's been going on very long. Um, I think it could reach a, a a a level not not similar, not on the same vein, but a, a level that that character work just hasn't or, or very rarely gets to. You know, I mean, who is even close to the level of Taker? What characters can even scratch the the surface of what he's done? Yeah, see, I think like there's there's not many like again, it goes back to what you what you mean by character. Um, but if you think of someone like obviously retired now, but Sting mm. Mm. had that vein where he was like the surfer guy, and then completely transitioned into what the sting that everyone probably thinks of when they think of him. But then you've also got uh, Chris Jericho, who has constantly reinvented himself, constantly stayed on the pulse. It's yeah. relevant for uh, over two decades. Yeah, yeah. It's it's such a uh, an interesting dissection of what, what you believe a character to be. Because at the end of the day, every single person that has ever wrestled is a character when they're in the ring. Uh, and if they're not, they've never wrestled again because it, it would be too shit. Yeah, maybe people go into the ring and they're a heightened version of themselves, but that is still a character. Like, John Cena can go into the ring and be John Cena, but when he's in the ring, he's the character John Cena, and when he's out, he is the man John Cena. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Chris Jericho, the character, has, you know, the same longevity. He's now been going longer than Taker. Um, and he still, it looks like he's still got a few, a few years left in him. Um, it, I don't know. It's, it's such a weird thing because it's almost, it's almost, um, not fair to call the Undertaker a gimmick anymore because it's been lived so long that it's transcended gimmick and become character. It's, it's a whole subset of, of character. I think to that end, it's, it's not... It's one of those weird things in wrestling, you know, like, if you look at other forms where people have to play a character, like like people who do film, for example, they basically do do that one character and that's kind of it. Like, nothing always really rubs off on them. Wrestling's a strange thing where people will come in as typically the person they are and then they more become that character. So that's kind of the thing that made Undertaker stick out, stand out was the fact, like, it other than probably when he had that period of being the American Badass and he could be more himself, he essentially lived that gimmick non-stop until, like, recently. So he essentially became that character, and I think it's a, one of those things with the character, some of the character rubbed off on him, but then obviously some of him, his original self is in that character. But you won't see people like him doing the gimmick work like he did, how he would go on chat shows in the full hat, gloves, and jacket and have to <laughs> suffer through idiotic interviewers while trying to remain in gimmick. You just don't kind of see that anymore. No, I, th- I think... I, I don't think there's ever going to be anyone who's going to come in that's going to get that level of character work 
for the length of time, for the length of time being on top as The Undertaker has. Because think about it, like, Undertaker's been in, works for WWE longer than any of us have been alive. That's how long he's been yeah. with that company. <laughs> Which is, like, how many other people can say, especially in a, in a job so physically demanding, and he's, I think he's he's retired at the right time. Yeah, I, I don't want to see the Undertaker wrestle anymore. I don't want to see him wrestle anymore. The one thing I'd want to see, but I don't think they probably should do, would be that match with Sting, unless they did it in a way where none of them looked like you know pagged because of it. But I think I think you're right. I think this if this is the final farewell, they they just have to leave it at that. It need it was it's been the perfect kind of full stop, because I mean it was never going to happen. Like he was never going to tarnish his legacy. But everyone was basically saying, and even he addresses that in the last ride. You know, you, you ever probably his last decent match was the CM Punk one at WrestleMania 29. Since then, he's just never been able to deliver as well as he could in the ring so I hope this is kind of like the full stop on everything um, I guess going off that then what what would you say are some of your favourite other characters then other than The Undertaker like who else would you say is like a good standout character that was from in wrestling for me great colleague <laughs> okay you can get out as well um, <laughs> um, I think for me and obviously it, it's hard not to draw that parallel but Kane um, yeah. Kane, Kane's, Kane's a difficult subject because he, whereas Undertaker's character's never really suffered, Kane's has been through the ringer quite a bit. I say it was kind of perfect up until he did put the mask back on again and then you had things like Corporate Kane which had sort of funny moments and were not right at the Merrick but whereas Undertaker's mystique of the character remained intact Kane's kind of fell apart as he's slowly gone on like you know I think he had one of the perfect backstories like you know with the burnt face and he was essentially like the Michael Myers of wrestling he was a silent killer that no one could stop but I, I think when you look when you looked out with the good of the bad canes it's one of those like character creations that has got great testament to it yeah I think um one of the best characters in wrestling would be uh Jushin Thunder Liger um, throughout his career, he's he's had a I wouldn't say it's a similar career to Taker, but you know he's been able to reinvent and and just and keep this incredible thing going. He retired, I think it was last year, uh, or maybe it was I think it was this January. He his last match was at uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Um, I w- you know obviously hasn't reached the same level as Taker, but I think he he is a, is a very much a standout. Um, when it comes to to character, especially as like a you know luchador mask wrestler. Yeah, well, I think I think it depends on. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to wager. I guess people in Japan would hold him in more revered yeah. than Undertaker. So you know, I mean, it's just because I mean, speaking. Of, I mean, he obviously he did wrestled in America and stuff, and people do know of him. But obviously, for our audience taste, it's obviously more way more we know more about Taker than Liger, but. I think both have obviously up there. I think it just depends on the audience you speak to. Yeah, for sure. Like one of my favourite characters, uh, even though his career was cut severely short, uh, Steve Austin. Uh, just 
the way from one, pretty much from one promo, the Austin 316, he changed the face of wrestling. Just and it was and the fact that that promo was completely off the cuff. I, I think if it wasn't for Austin, like becoming Stone Cold, uh, WCW would have would have won the Monday Night Wars. Same with if the Undertaker had jumped ship to WCW, we wouldn't be watching WWE anymore. We'd be watching WCW. Mm. I can see your point in that, but then, I mean, I think WCW would have kind of went tits up regardless of if Austin hadn't happened. I think they would have had a longer run, but then kind of going back to the fact that I watched the David Arquette documentary, I think if WCW just carried on regardless of that, they would have eventually had to close the doors because of the amount of money they were hemorrhaging and all the mistakes they made. But I do get your point. I think I think wrestling would have certainly been different if you hadn't have had Austin 316 because he was... The I think he still probably stands as probably the biggest money draw that they have, that they've ever had to be honest. And when you look at everything in terms of like the houses they drew, the merchandise they shifted, so I can I can I can totally see your point in that. Cool. Um, I suppose something else that could be fun to bring up. Um, are there any sort of underrated characters that have like occurred from over the years? Because I mean WWE's big thing for at one point is they had nothing but gimmick wrestlers that were pretty well they were terrible let's not let's not be around the bush but <laughs> i've got two i can point out i i honestly think doink the clown and bear with me was actually a good character when you look at what they were trying to achieve with it so uh they originally brought in in as matt Bourne because he was like a he was a really good technical wrestler and the idea and when the character first started as that evil character it was actually a good idea when they had Bourne behind the makeup and they had all these quite big plans like they wanted him in a program with brett um they wanted him to be a bigger character and i mean he did do well like he was quite a big draw for like the younger crowd i guess when he did go good but it was when they made that switch to good that the wheels kind of fell off it and now it is just kind of a character people just don't look back on fondly. But I think I think it is one of those ones where if it had worked out differently, it would be a lot more fondly loved character if you if you like. But even then, it's not like people completely hate on it. Like they always still make action figures of them and stuff like that. So it's one of those ones where I think a lot of people will be quick to hate. But when you actually look into it, it could have been a much bigger bigger character if you like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I would say. Uh, Damien Sandow has done some really great character work and I think uh, one that stands out to me and one that wasn't even very long but got so over it it, it reminds me of how um, Orange Cassidy gets over it's kind of, it's a bit ridiculous it's uh, old school wrestling fans who you know, believe that the only thing that happened in old school wrestling was like a 30 minute headlock um, would look at it and say it's dumb but the 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 stunt double, Damien Sandow, the Mizdow, was so fucking good. I loved that. It's such a good like character thing that really worked with both of their characters. Are you right? No, I, that was that was like Sandow was just such a weird case, but like he was one of those people where no matter what they put in front of him, he made it work, which is what I think is more of a testament to him as a person, but. Like you could literally have given him any gimmick, and somehow he would have probably managed to get that over somehow. Yeah, Sandow was fantastic. It's it's just a shame that he got let go after because mm. it it wasn't long after Damien Mizdow ended that he got let go. 
which is a shame because it would have been I think if they'd done it right they could have had him like try and find that new person to be their stunt double but I think after a while it would have went to uh, was it uh, Charlie Haas when he kept coming out as different characters mm-hmm. for a while and but Dam- yeah Damien Sandow like one of the best character workers of like the modern modern times Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, um, any uh, character you want to pick on, Jess? Um, CM Punk, but the Straight Edge Society. CM Punk, because that should have been the launch pad for not just Punk, but for Gallows, Joy Mercury, and was it uh, Serena? Yeah, yeah, I think it was Serena. Uh, that should have been the launch pad for all four of them. It was the most hated thing in WWE, but it was like getting so much heat. But then, but, and I think that's because Punk did it all. And then Vince got his hands on it and didn't understand it. And it, I think that was one of the biggest wasted opportunities in like modern yeah. WWE. Yeah, I mean, when it got um, when it was cult like, and they had people shaving their <clears throat> shaving their hair, and um, I think there was a there was a segment where they had like audience members shaving their hair. I don't think they were actually they were yeah, probably they did. you know actors or whatever, yeah. but it still it still really worked. No, it, absolutely. I mean, it worked incredibly well just from the heat he was getting. I mean, when you like look at the documentary that came out, it was it was like getting like people calling him the devil and like a blasphemer and all that. He was building some incredible heat that should have made him. I mean, by that point, obviously he'd been in the main event picture, but this was kind of hit when he got bumped down a bit. Like this, that should have, like you said, just been more of a launch pad to make him a, a cement him as the main event star going forward. I suppose if that had happened, we would have never got something like the pipe bomb, which is like one of the most sort of iconic moments. But yeah, I agree. Like he, sh- it should have took him to the next level, and it was a shame it just kind of, well, not through his choice. Like WWE just chose to fizzle it out and not ever let it go anywhere. Um, but one one character I wrote down that I I love and I don't care what people think was when Paul Birchall was a pirate. I I also <laughs> love that. I love that just because um, not only was it just cheesy and fun but they got William Regal to dress up as a tavern wench <laughs> I just yeah again like the whole thing was I mean it, it, this was like what still ruthless aggression and obviously characters like this still weren't a big thing but, but I mean Paul Burchill gave it as all fair enough it was just a bit of a Johnny Depp rip off but like yeah. I, I thought the entrance was cool to swinging in on a rope um, he got over pretty well from what I remember like I don't remember it being a character that people massively hated I mean maybe because I wasn't much of like you know an internet user then so I don't know what like hardcore fans were thinking but I generally thought it was just a fun little character like it, it probably was obviously could have never been a main event thing but you, you know I could have easily seen him having a decent run with like a mid card title or something um and I, I, again, I just thought it was funny. Like the backstage segments were always good. Regal's just always like an ultimate comic foil. He just gets comedy, so he played off everything really well on top of that. Uh, any other characters you want to bring up, gents? I think um, oh. I think when you when you're discussing Taker, it's very difficult to even bring up anyone in the same breath. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I think I think 
kind of the idea of this. Obviously, this is mainly just to talk about Taker, but I mean, given the character he is, it just helps that we could do a little bit of discussion discussion work on it. I mean, like with anything we discuss, I'm sure it's something we could always go back to just to kind of talk about gimmicks and characters in like a broader sense. But I think ultimately the idea of this was just to kind of go over our favourite Undertaker moments and kind of show why we think he is this, like, one of the best creations WWE ever came up with. Yeah, um, I just want to do another another good character. Yeah, yeah wrestler. Go well, he is a wrestler, but not... This is not the character... I'm not meaning his wrestling character, but William Regal as the general manager of NXT is fantastic. And I think that's, again, it's just a testament to William Regal. He can make anything work, including drinking tea that's been peed in. <laughs> like Chris Jericho. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what why Regal does so well with these bits is because he is. If you ever read his book, he is just a, an absolute uh, lover of comedy. So I mean, I mean, it kind of makes sense because he has tried stand up before and stuff. But he loves classic British comedy, and he's like a massive student of that. So he knows every. He's kind of worked on his comedic timing to a fine point, and he's he's kind of the guy who's never afraid to be made to look a fool either. Like, I think to him it is just an ultimate laugh and he's willing to do whatever ever it takes just to kind of get that laugh and response out of the audience. Um, I think I think what's kind of good about his character now is he is just perfect in that authority figure role and you're, you're never going to get another authority figure who can say war games the way he can. No. No. <laughs> you will never get... It just gives you... just makes you feel warm and fuzzy. Just the way he <laughs> says war games with so much passion and gusto. <laughs> It just it just gets you like it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be the same kind of uh, it just wouldn't be the same feeling this time of year if you didn't at least hear him say it once so no, that's why I was mainly happy to like, announce that. <laughs> um, although I still would have liked uh, if if Dusty hadn't died, um, if Dusty was still the general manager of NXT, having him announce war games. Like, yeah. Oh, it's war! It's war games, baby. <laughs> No, absolutely, man. Um, no, fantastic. Uh, anything else you want to bring up there, lads, on Taker or characters? No, I think no. I'm good. I think no, we went pretty solid. A lot. Yeah, we went over a lot. Well, I think that'll probably do it for this week's episode. A um, couple of things just before we wrap up. So, obviously, you mentioned there you can find us over on the social media channels. Uh, we're at Bearhood Club Pod on Instagram, Bearhood Club on Twitter. Um, find us on Facebook at The Bearhood Club podcast um something to quickly plug there so our, our friends i mentioned there at the pick and mix podcast they do a lot of sort of plugging of our stuff um i recently joined them in a DD series campaign which you can now find online uh you can check them out at the pick and mix podcast the pick and mix pod on instagram and the pick and mix pod on twitter uh so that'll do it for this week so thank you for tuning in thank you very much thank you very much right, we'll see you next week bye guys bye